Hello and welcome to another episode of Movie Schmovie, the movie podcast where myself, I'm Steve, and who else is here? I'm Ron. And I'm John. <laughs> All three of us, we talk about movies and things, and uh, this is episode number 260. Like, we've done, it's actually more than that, we've had some half episodes, but this is a nice round 260 that'll be coming out on 4th of July weekend, you listening to this episode, maybe while you're having your, not having your cookouts, you know, practicing your social distancing, wearing your masks. Yeah. Uh, basically, when you're being a responsible person to society, hopefully you're listening to this episode. <laughs> and uh, that would make us all very happy. Um, you have but yeah, to be a so, responsible person in this country to set a good example for our president. Yeah, we we would hope it's that important. some of our listeners are such, and let let's do it together, all of yeah. all six of us. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little crazy, man. I I never would have thought that masks would be the thing that dropped people crazy. People are flipping out. Did you see the video of the lady that flipped out at the market and threw all of her? Yeah, stuff like the trader, the, the trader. The, oh yeah, that one too. Yeah, the shopping cart one. They told her she had to put her mask back on, and she started flinging yeah. stuff out of her cart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were talking about the one at Trader Joe's who no. was like yelling. There, there's another viral one with a woman at Trader Joe's in like Los Angeles or Hollywood or something, where it's very similar. She's just like, you know, they have to escort her out because she, I don't know. She's saying she has like a condition; she can't wear a mask. Like, well, you know, unfortunately, you can't come into the store. Oh shit! <laughs> uh, you know, like it was one of those conversations. But yeah, there, there's lots of fun videos out there about you know people just being so but butthurt about you know their rights being taken away because they're asked to wear a mask to hopefully you know help society you know who, who wants to do that i guess yeah. i don't know uh, i i think i see the clip that you're talking about <laughs> if if you want to see oh yeah I, I, it's it's it, it yeah it, it went viral real uh, quick and it's everywhere it, and it's it's pure pure anger i've been watching uh, all these clips on one place crazy karens on instagram is like nuts it is oh yeah i follow that <laughs> yeah it's so good oh wow only in america would a, a social media account like crazy karen be the, the one that most people are following during a pandemic right that even no news sources just crazy karen um but yeah man i'm glad we got together to do another episode um there's a lot to talk about. There's some news items that I had noted, and then we shared a bunch on the on our thread on uh, Messenger that we wanted to make sure we probably brought up. But I know I've watched a couple things over the past week that I'm excited to talk about, and I know a few other things that you guys have seen. So hopefully we can have a nice conversation and put some positivity into the world. Maybe I don't yeah. know. Let's hope. Yeah, let's I know there's one that we were talking about today that's at least entertaining. I don't know how significant it is. But the Justice League uh, melodrama is is just hilarious to me. That movie is such a headline factory. But the latest scuttlebutt is that uh, Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg, he um, said some very kind things about Joss Whedon taking over for for Zack Snyder back in the day, and and the, <clears throat> and now has basically he what what was the phrase he used? He forcefully retracted his positive retracted, statement yeah. <laughs> about working with Joss Whedon. What do you guys think about that? And what do you guys? I mean, I don't know. I don't even know why it's that. <clears throat> it's that interesting. I guess this movie is just kind of like I said. It's sort of a train wreck that that, that keeps on giving, keeps on crashing. What do you think, Ronald? Do Do you care that Joss Whedon was was a big baby on the set, or or what do you make of that? Um, first and foremost, uh, hello Ray Fisher. You're a Baltimorean. 
Uh, I am a Baltimorean. We are Baltimoreans. Um, so I think that's really dope. Second of all, um, the, the idea that possibly Josh Whedon made Cyborg say booyah because he was a black cyborg is nuts. <laughs> I think the character was known for saying that. Like the character said that on the cartoons and it was like a catchphrase of the character. Right, right. So it was a nod to that. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying and it's cringe inducing. It's like saying, oh, hell no, nah, or something like that. Yes. It shouldn't be, shouldn't happen. But if I think the context is at least worth mentioning that it was a ref, that was more like a cheesy reference to the cartoon than it was necessarily a a brand new microaggression. It's almost like <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was a callback to a pre-existing microaggression, Ronald. That, yeah, yeah. That whole booyah thing. But that is that is kind of ridiculous that Joss Whedon, who seems like should be, seems like he was he's 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 better than booyah, right? Or maybe he's not. But I would have thought Joss Whedon was better than booyah. I don't think he is because he did it. The thing is, like, um, I think sometimes with the with the the. Things are things like this are giving people a, a lens into this the insides and and of interactions that people just don't have that aren't that don't look like this guy that aren't black that aren't of color it just so it would make sense that people wouldn't have any idea that this is something people always have to face um, it's a little weird um, but. He also just could have been an asshole on top of all that stuff, but that's a that's an especially alarming thing that I heard. But um, yeah, I I don't know if what I mean. He made Age of Ultron, right? Am I tripping? I think that movie was almost doomed because it had so many things they were trying to do with it, um, and Joss Whedon just wasn't the guy to make it work. You know, so yeah. If I if I go by Justice League and and uh, Age of Ultron, I don't know if he can make an action movie. So I'm. I, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. It's a little weird. So you're saying on the scale of those versus uh, uh, the first Avengers movie, you're putting you're saying that the first Avengers movie is losing status because <laughs> because of those two, or do you still think that movie works? I I think I think that the I think that the um, other movies are pretty solid. I mean, you know, I you know how I felt about the first of the in the two infinity war uh infinity war and endgame infinity war and endgame i didn't like infinity war watched it recently liked it a little more still think it's not as good um in comparison uh but yeah age of ultron still stands out as a first thor level movie to me i just don't think it was very well made um regardless of what was this connecting tissue that was supposed to be to another world um, the whole movie was not that good, and I felt the same way about Justice. But what do you think, Steve? I mean, I, you know, I, I, are you surprised that just this kind of story is coming up about Joss Whedon, or just what kind of weight do you think it has? It kind of seems like I to, I've said before he's he was in the unflattering file photo phase of his career, where whenever there's a story, you see like a a bad picture with it, you know, instead of a nice picture. But the most recent wave of stories, they found these sort of slick pictures where he looks a little thin. And he looks like he's wearing a nice suit, and he looks kind of like a slick asshole. So I was like, oh, now he's gone beyond, like, unflattering file photo to, like, they've got, like, photos where he looks like a villain in a movie, you know, and they're using those. So uh, what do you think of villainous Joss Whedon? Or do you think it's unfair? Or I don't know. What Just what's your opinion of any of it? I don't like hearing, uh, you know, about filmmakers or just any kind of, you know, experience like that for anybody involved. Like, that's disappointing. And it doesn't matter now. Uh 
like with all the stuff around like the Justice League conversation, like you're saying earlier, like there's just like all these random news items just keep coming out. And Ray Fisher's been one of the more outspoken ones that was involved with the whole Snyder universe of DC films. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I guess like, obviously I, I, I can't say I dislike Joss Whedon. Like I like a lot of the stuff he's done. Like I agree. I don't like Avengers age of Ultron. And I don't like justice league, but the first Avengers film I think is great. And I love a lot of stuff he's done for TV. And you know, I, I, I do like a lot of stuff he's done, but it doesn't buy you like a pass if that's how you act on a set or if that's how you treat people. And like, you're, you know, you're allowed to do that or, you, you know, you expect that you're allowed to do that because of who you are, because of the, I don't know, the, the reputation you've earned quote unquote, or bought yourself in Hollywood or in filmmaking. Like, so that stuff doesn't set well with me. Like, so, you know, somebody like Ray Fisher coming out and feeling like it's okay to say that now, like that's empowering and that's good that he, if that actually happened and he was kind of basically, you know, the clip that he shared that he retracted, like, you know, you could see that that was like an awkward, you can, you can tell that there's something there. He's not just like randomly pulling this shit now. Like that clip is really uncomfortable to watch. And that was like a publicity kind of junket. Wasn't that a convention appearance or something? Like it, it was definitely a moment where it was. Yeah, it was a convention, and yeah, he had to say something positive in that moment. It didn't feel like the time to vent about anything. Right, and I mean, you can look at Jason Momoa, and you can even like look at him, look at Jason Momoa, almost for like acknowledgement of like, is what I said good enough, or like, is what I said okay, or is that a safe comment? You know, you know, like there's a moment where he looks at him, and it's just like, what the what? Why? Why do you have to? You know, that's that's un. That's sad if, you know, you've been directed to make a nice statement because this is like the studio and this is a convention and like everybody only wants to hear the, you know, the, the positives and that, that all sucks. But I mean, ultimately, you know, things have come out about Joss Whedon and I think he's really taken a hit in, in some ways as a filmmaker and in an industry as a whole. So, I mean, I don't know that like Ray Fisher saying that is going to really have a huge impact on what Joss Whedon does or doesn't do especially if other people aren't coming out saying the same thing from that production, and I don't know that they would. But, I mean, it's shitty, and, like, it's ridiculous if there's that level of privilege and that level of expectation that, like, he can act like that on a film set just because he's come in to, you know, quote-unquote, save the production from whatever was happening. You know, there's all those conversations about, like, what was happening with Justice League outside of the family tragedy that Zack Snyder and his wife, you know, experience, like, there was lots of conversations about that production kind of going off the rails and other issues happening. But even still, like, you know, if somebody comes in to try to fix the product or kind of see it through, you know, you don't ever want to hear stuff like that. And it's really unfortunate that people, you know, Ray Fisher, Momoa, Affleck, whoever that made positive comments about Joss Whedon, you know, if they witnessed something on the set or experienced it themselves, like Ray seems to have, it's really just ridiculous and sad that, you know, they're directed in, you know, publicity and whatever, publicists and all that stuff. Like, it's just, it's just like forcing people to say positive things then until a day comes that they can actually be honest about it. That's like really just disappointing and sad. I think it's probably the norm and that's probably even more disappointing and sad. Uh, but That's I'm, what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. But somehow I'm not surprised, even though it seems like it should be the opposite. It should be that Joss Whedon comes in to this beleaguered film and, and brings like a, a shot of, because the whole thing was he was supposed to make it more fun and add more jokes and all that shit anyway. So it's, it seems ironic that he would come in and be an asshole. But 
But I don't know why I'm just not surprised when I hear bad news about him. And I, I agree with you, Steve. I probably admire the very same work of his that you do. Um, and even though, I, even though I am the person on this podcast who likes Age of Ultron the most, that doesn't mean I think it's it's not super flawed. And I don't see his kind of his sort of style of his shtick kind of wearing thin maybe on me over the years. Um, that being said, yeah, I, I mean, what you said is just, you nailed it. There's no excuse for that kind of behavior. This is part of the sort of current age we're in where, you know, toxic behavior on set. I think we used to accept this idea of the sort of raging director. And I just don't think people want to put up with that shit anymore. And, and I don't think they should. And I think if Joss Whedon was doing that, that's, that's, I mean, I, I'm not really that disappointed at this point because it will be the third or fourth story you've heard that makes it sound like maybe he's kind of a domineering asshole, you know? Maybe he's like that kind of nice guy, nerd, whatever, who, who when he gets a little power, he becomes sort of malevolent. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying it kind of feels that way to me. So for whatever reason, I, I don't disbelieve these bad stories. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm not at all surprised that they would have told him, Hey, before you go out there, say, say nice things about the production. You know, I like that doesn't surprise me now. Why now? I think right now, a lot of people just kind of feel like, why am I keeping secrets for this asshole? You know, and also probably the whole justice league, it's being slightly redeemed. So maybe some of that stuff is coming back to Ray Fisher. You know, sometimes you can kind of, if you were sort of, uh, you went through something rough, you can kind of be reminded of it and it all comes to the surface again. So yeah, no, I'm, I agree with you. You guys, 100%. It seems just, it's just shameful and stupid. And I, there's no reason to doubt that it's true. And that's, that is disappointing and sad. I think one of the other things that like really stands out about just the whole conversation, and it just is going on forever around Justice League and Zack Snyder. And like we've talked about it too much on this podcast. And I'm sure we'll keep talking because it doesn't seem to go away. <laughs> Should we just have a segment called Justice League Report or something like that? Or yeah. Justice League Schmerzeschmeg? <laughs> yeah. I just feel like, you know, when you hear something like that and you 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 can i mean you can look at like I, like i said like you can look at footage and you can see that like that whole press around justice league when they were putting that movie out there was there was there was an awkwardness to it there was you know a lack of just joss whedon and a lot of the stuff and like and it was mainly the cast and when you think about it like all all you ever hear outside of studio issues like with cast or crew or anything is nothing but like pretty positive glowing things about Zack snyder and like whether you like Zack Snyder or not, I think that just makes whether you care about Justice League or the movie he's going to release on HBO Max or anything else about Zack Snyder, it's just disappointing and it's sad to hear that like who they can't, had come in and replace him, you know, was the opposite of what it sounds like he had in terms of a relationship with his cast and the way he ran his sets. Like all of those cast members, anybody he's ever worked with, seems to say nothing but great things about. Him as a person, him as a director, and you know, in, in the the relationship with his cast, like, you know, and I hope that holds true because I, I I respect him for a lot of that reason. I like some of his movies, I love some, I dislike some, but I love hearing that about him as a filmmaker. So it makes it even more tragic, and it just like makes the whole story even more sad that their attempt to fix a franchise or their attempt to change a movie, whether it's because they weren't happy with it or or honestly because of what happened to his family. It's just tragic that like it just it just exponentially gets worse by having a filmmaker come in that they see as the guy that can fix it and make it funny, and like he makes the set uh, a, a horrible place for some people, and that that just doesn't seem to be like anything anybody's ever said about working for Zack Snyder, and and that that makes the whole thing worse to me. Yeah, 
I mean, you can read so many things about him. Like, again, whether you like him or not, or like his films or not, like, you know, most Cassidy's ever worked with, uh, you know, are really big fans of him as a person and as a filmmaker and continually work with him, you know, and that's why they champion him so much. And that, that says something, I think, and it just makes it, it's just unfortunate that this whole thing has become what it is in general, because it's kind of annoying at this point, but it's just sadder that you hear a, 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 an actor in a movie whose role, you know, was basically, you know, <laughs> minimized to nothing in Justice League. Um, and, you know, and got bullied while that was happening. And got and got and yeah, and got bullied by a director. Like that's just that's really sad, especially when you know he has a great relationship with Zack Snyder, and, and he's been one of the ones. Like you know, in the podcast I've listened to that he's done, and he has a podcast. I see him on Instagram all the time and Twitter. Like he's been banging that drum for Zack Snyder since the day he left that production. Still, and and you know, it's it's just sad to hear that, and you know, hopefully, you know, I don't know whatever is of. The Snyder Cut or whatever comes of, of yeah. Ray Fisher and, and any future he has in DC movies, like hopefully it's better for him in the future because it, it hopefully, or it, it, sadly it should have never happened if that's what happened. But I don't know. We'll see. So Steve, what's that sound? What's that sound? Steve, I'm, I'm, do you hear the sound of your boy coming back? <laughs> to play batman or something what what the fuck is up what the fuck is up with this i always hear the sound of my boy well first off let's just say if anybody's been if anybody's been following twitter or any social media accounts that have had photos of ben affleck recently dude looks amazing i don't know what he's doing if he's got some other movie or if there's some weight to what ronald sent around the day about him signing this deal with hbo max for other batman related things but Sad Ben is no more Sad Ben. Like, you know, the way back, you know, Ben Affleck, like, whatever whatever he's doing right now, he, I think he looks he looks great. Like, physically, he's in shape. Like, he looks so much younger now. I don't know if that's related to this news item, but um, I keep tabs on my boy, and, I mean, he's looking solid, so if this is true and there's something to this, it may be because of that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- but well, yeah. it, it doesn't appear to have a lot of outlets covering it. But I do think that's a. F- I mean, I'm probably by the time this episode uh, drops, we'll know for sure that this is just like one of those little funny yeah. rumors that gets yeah. started. But I, but I do yeah. think it was funny to see him thrown back in there. And yes, I, I guess we're just one of those podcasts that roots for certain people. And I think we we for whatever reason we don't kick Affleck when he's down. You know, yeah. um, on this show. Like, or at least we step away from the microphone before we do that. Um, I don't know. I just don't. It only seems unlikely to me because I don't know what that would mean. Because wasn't the wasn't the story just that it was for signing a deal with HBO Max for certain appearances related to the DC Snyderverse? I don't know that they officially use the word Snyderverse. Um, I don't know that they've actually even yeah. said multiverse yet about their their multiple movies. But it does seem like it, the only way it could even be possible is that they can have different versions of different characters. DC's always done that in the comics, and it seems like the DC movies, are they might be trying to turn that into something more uh, random, more than just random. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if you guys <laughs> if you guys lent any credence to that article or if, uh, you know, just uh, it's good to mention Affleck again on the show. We haven't done that in a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. It's, it's super cool, man. If there's really going to be some uh, Ben Affleck and stuff, if we're going to see him again, I think that's pretty cool. Um, the multiverse thing makes me uneasy because I just don't want it to step on the toes of the trilogy that's about to start whenever it starts. Because the screenshots I keep seeing, the screen captures, the set 
the set pieces and you know things that they keep showing look very promising this this younger batman younger catwoman Talk about the robert pattinson the robert pattinson one yeah um it, is it supposed to be a trilogy i didn't know that yeah it's, it's yeah a, it's it's it, they signed off on it as a trilogy so you know that's pretty promising i just don't want it to step on the toes of this so but also to to, to add to the ben affleck hbo max stuff um there is dc content coming out on HBO Max, and one of them is Doom Patrol. Um, I like the first season. I didn't finish it, but I really enjoyed it. I heard this new season is pretty incredible. So it's it's obvious that HBO wants to find something to attach to the DC sort of universe, and this this would this would be perfect. It would be nice to see a, a weekly Batman series that was a little different from the movies, where you get to see a fleshed out Batman. Because, you know, we, we get to see Batman on sta- on screen for, what, two hours maybe? Tops. It'd be good to see him for, you know, for a couple hours, see how he moves, see how he interacts at parties and rub shoulders with politicians. I kind of <laughs> like that idea, man. I, and Ben Affleck, and I've told you this, the most accurate portrayal of the darker Batman, because he's a big man. A lot of the Batmans that have been casted aren't very big men. Um, he has the presence. Um, he he get, he brings something to Batman that we have never seen on screen, aside from his portrayal. So um, yeah, if it happens, it happens. But I would love for it to happen. So yeah, I loved his. I loved his Batman. I mean, of whatever you think Me of too. the movies, like I. Well, I didn't really like him in Justice League, but I didn't like that movie in general. But. <laughs> Uh, the Batman v Superman. I thought I thought all that stuff was pretty awesome with him at least. I thought he was the best part of that. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. That only one, yeah, like you're saying, one outlet's kind of carrying this. But I'm curious if they do announce something at one of these conventions that they're talking about. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We're either getting the drop on this uh, breaking story. Or we are mentioning something that is going to be, which we've done before, where we talk about something and it's not a story by the time the episode comes out. Um, <laughs> so if you're listening, I'll leave this in because it's, you know, yeah. it's, uh, I don't it's, know, still it's entertaining. It's an, it, it's, it's an entertaining notion and it is entertaining to think that they would announce that or that that would even be true at the same time that they're talking about bringing back Michael Keaton and possibly, although this is probably even more of a rumor, uh, or Christian Bale if Michael Keaton didn't work out. But I, I feel like Christian Bale would be the least likely of any of them to come back. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I just feel like he's tied to that Nolan trilogy and that Christopher Nolan might say to him, don't do it. You know, like, I don't want you to mess with my thing. But who knows? Christopher Nolan won't even let people sit down on his set. So that's the kind of asshole we're dealing with there. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, got, I got something. I wanted to bring up, uh, I don't know if you guys know much about this movie, but... So they're they're doing like a virtual can market, obviously because of COVID. And one of the one of the big titles that was kind of going into the market was this um, action thriller from uh, Will Smith and Antoine Fuqua called Emancipation. It's basically like an action thriller uh, that's supposed to be about like a slave on the run from the Confederacy during the Civil War and kind of going up through the North or you know to join the Union Army. But it was like a big title, and I was reading yesterday, I know it broke that, I think it started with like every, basically every major distributor was obviously trying to get this title, but it came down to Apple and Warner Brothers, and Apple apparently reportedly got, they won the title, so they, they, they got the they, they got the distribution rights for it, but 
if if the number's accurate, it, they said anywhere between 105 to 120 million dollars, um, which would be the biggest ever festival acquisition, um, which is kind of bonkers. Because for Apple TV Plus to get this title, I mean, I think they're planning a theatrical release. I think the plan is to put it in theaters, you know, worldwide, but that Apple TV Plus would have, you know, the rights for the digital distribution once it leaves that theatrical window. But I don't know. It sounds like a pretty huge movie. This is like, you know, Anton Fuqua has done some huge films. This is Will Smith trying to get back into like an action thriller, leading man type of thing. But um, I don't know what you got. If you guys knew much about this title, if you had had heard of it yet, but it's a uh, sounds like a pretty cool movie, pretty interesting movie. And for those two to be involved in with it, and for it to be such a big sale, it seems like there's something else going in here, like a wild card thing where they they're very confident this movie's going to be a big hit. I had not heard about it until you mentioned it. So I mean, everything you said sounds really uh, really interesting. So. Is this to make up for Will Smith not doing Django? Yes. I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering about that, man. Like, well, as soon as I read this, I was like, he turned down yeah. The Matrix. He turned down Django. I'm, look, I get Django is, on paper, it's probably a very tough read. It, it, it was probably like, oh, my God. Right. I, I don't want to be a slave for fucking three hours in a, in a movie, you know? Um and you know i have in a tarantino movie yeah yes yes right. um but say what you will man it, a lot of people like that movie um and i think that between the matrix and django will has to look at some of these movies and say maybe i should have jumped at the opportunity to maybe do a tarantino movie to maybe push myself with the wachowskis try something like that and he didn't man so this may be something that he may be doing to challenge himself in that arena because I feel like he doesn't challenge himself in the acting arena the way that he challenges himself to be more open in the social media sort of realm now, which is a, a really cool thing to see him be himself on uh, online because it's he's an incredible presence. But he needs a movie. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't want it to necessarily be a slave movie. I got to be honest. But I want to see Will Smith act. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting about this is that like I think I guess obviously there's timeliness to what's happening in the United States right now, but I was reading I think it was it's it's based on a true story, but I mean I, I want to say in an interview Antoine Fuqua, Antoine Fuqua was saying that like it's basically about like the 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 slave that was about his name was Peter, but basically like when he joined the Union army, they like during like a, a medical examination uh, that's where they saw like scars from like a, a whipping that he had experienced on his back, and that when they took a photo of that, that that photo was apparently one of the first like viral images of how you know the brutality of how slavery was in, this, in the United States, and that went like across the world. But I mean, like that's the true story that this is going to be based on, and I think I don't know if this is like a movie that's going to be going for like the awards type thing for Will Smith, or if it's more of like a, you know, straight up action thriller, like a lot of the other movies that Fuqua has made. But I mean, it's an interesting story. I get what you're saying. And you know, it's like, you know, I don't know how many more you want to, like you want, you need to see about slavery and things like that. But, um, it's, it's an interesting story. I mean, only because of how, of what we're talking about right now in, in our country and 
the virality of like images and things like that of what you can see and what you don't see. And I think this man's experience and like the fact that it wasn't until that or that photo being taken was something that made a lot of people in the country and the world understand maybe more physically what this was doing to people. And um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting story. You're right, Steve. I, you know, that's a great uh, comparison to the the way that these videos that I mean, I've I've just about I just about turned my head at this point when one of them comes up in my feed or when they try to play it on the news. But I but I also feel like they are there for a reason to remind some people, and I do think they have an effect. So as horrifying as they are, um, some some people won't have their heads turned until they see something with their eyes. And even though that's that's a crazy notion, um, those images are powerful and they do change the kind of change the current of of the way society feels about things. So so that's an interesting. That does sound. I mean, that definitely sounds like you know the, with the director, the actors, everything, and the subject matter. Like it would be a good movie. But yeah, I don't think there's ever going to be a point where we're just sitting here saying let's watch more movies about about this kind of suffering. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't make a good one, but. Um, you know, it, it can sometimes be a, like, those are some of those movies that I have a real hard time sort of getting up the guts to watch, even if I feel like I should. Yeah, man. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm, I am happy that it's going to Apple TV. Um, I'm a huge advocate of Apple TV. I, I champion it whenever I can. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out, man, and how the distribution goes. What's the, how, how small the window is between the theater and it going to Apple TV. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think I think it's like they're really fighting for this like, you know, three month window or six month window or whatever whatever. I, I think it's three is the reality of what they're really fighting for. Uh like theaters, I mean. But I think Apple seems to be like playing along with that more because I know they were gonna have that one movie that was coming out like the banker or yeah. something that was the, the the Sam Jackson Anthony Mackie movie. But I know that was going to be coming out in theaters, like for a standard window, and then yeah. just going to Apple TV Plus. So, I think I think they seem to be wanting to put movies in theaters still, like for a run if they can, and then maybe release it. You know, once it gets past that window, like they have the distribution for, like that's where you'll see it once you miss your chance in theaters. Ah, uh, that'd be cool, man. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I had a headline, um, a very interesting one. Um, in 2011, there was a British kid that not very many people knew about. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to have seen um, Attack the Block. Um, I loved it, and apparently other people did. And uh, because of uh, Attack the Block and his powerful performance, John Boyega was chosen to be in the Star Wars world, which is always pretty cool to see somebody coming from another world, you know, the... the British cinema to kind of come into the American cinema and be a part of such a cool universe. Um, there are talks that uh, Joe Cornish, who wrote and directed Attack the Block, and uh, he touched the, the first uh, Ant-Man script and uh, also wrote Adventures of Tintin, um, may be working on Attack the Block 2 with John Boyega. Yeah. Post, um, I mean, it's all, it apparently had already been in talks. But it especially uh, elevated after his kind of speech of not thinking that his, uh, you know, him speaking out against um, everything that, that had been happening. Right, right. He was thinking that it would kind of isolate him and get him blackballed. And um, Joe Cornish reached out to him 
to have some pretty heavy talks about maybe doing Attack the Block too. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this movie. I'm talking to the listeners. Um, but please invest some time and watch Attack the Block. I mean, it is a recent classic. Yes. It is a recent, in my mind, it is a recent classic. It's And to me, of, of the era of me watching movies for this show, uh, it is one of the best. You know, the ones that I kind of, I've just, I just recommend it to people. And um, it's almost like a litmus test if people don't quite get the charm of it. I mean, it is, it, it does have like a stylistic choice with the sort of creatures it has in it. But I think if you accept that they're just alien and that the way they look is, is bizarre and let the sort of, you know, because it's inventive and you could say it's cheap, but I think it's more inventive than it is cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that movie's great. And, and when we saw it, didn't we just talk about how the, you know, John Boyega is going to be a star? Um, so yeah, I mean, I love him speaking out. I love all the people that reached out to him, all the people that supported him, that have worked with him or that are associated with properties that he's been associated with. But of course that would be a great, uh, I mean, or at least potentially a really great, a great movie to see what he would want to do now, you know, um, that he's had the taste of this kind of big action franchise sort of filmmaking, but also Joe Cornish maybe working with him about something thematic, because this is a movie that was sort of, as its backdrop, it, it definitely did not sort of um, shy away from uh, sort of inner city realities. And I would imagine John Boyega would have some ideas about how to carry those ideas forward uh, with maybe the clout that he has now. I mean, what a cool project that would be if, if that happened, if those two guys partnered up and made a... A sort of socially conscious sequel to Attack the Block <laughs> yeah. that would be that would that would kick ass. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm 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 down for that, man. I love that movie. I think that was like my number two or three of the what 2011. I, that's a classic for sure. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> that's what we call a schmovie around here. <laughs> yeah. That is the classic schmovie. A classic schmovie. Um, any other things you've? Seen? I have other things. I don't. Like, I mean, I can run down one other one and then let one of you guys go. Um. I have champ. Look, Mindy Kaling is kind of a powerhouse of my head in terms of just content and um, highlighting uh, really cool subject matter and people. And I think uh, Never Have I Ever is definitely one of my favorite shows, uh, not only 2020, but maybe of all time. Um, and this is a couple of things, couple of things. I encourage people who, um, who aren't really <clears throat> watching movies with people that don't look like them to watch movies and shows with people that don't look like them. Uh, and it's important because the perspective can be different. Um, but then also you may realize that a, a lot of the stories are pretty similar. You may relate in a lot of ways, we're not that different. Um, and this is one of those shows that I just haven't heard about enough. Right. And it just got renewed for a second season. So it's it's obviously reached um, a, a good population of people. But Never Have I Ever is out of this world. There's not a lull in it. There's not a slow part. This thing is start to finish one of the most entertaining shows I've seen. And I, I have Netflix to thank. How often do I thank Netflix? Um, but I do love what they're doing, we'll, man. We'll, like, we'll take it anytime you will, Ronald. Because, <laughs> look, man, it, it really does work sometimes. It really does work. I think they manufacture a lot of uh, adware of, of, of content. Like, it is really just a lot of spam and, and noise. But there are some cool voices that get through. And I really love that women and women of color 
um, are able to create these incredible things that couldn't have come out before because they weren't allowed. And um, this is just one of those shows that I, I, I think you guys should check out. So. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. It's a good show, man. Heard nothing but great things about it. I wanted to just mention really quickly um, another, just in the, in, the, in the realm of releases and acquisitions and whatnot, one of the other big titles that came up this week. Um, so uh, I don't know if anybody's heard of the, the Trial of the Chicago 7, which is an Aaron Sorkin written and directed film that's you know been completed. It's a Paramount title. It's one of the titles that they kind of pulled off their slate that were supposed to be released uh, this September or October. But um, basically, you know, it's it's about like the 68 Democratic National Convention where like a protest basically turned into a violent event. And I mean, all-star cast, Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen is in it, Mark Rylance is in it, Michael Keaton. I mean, just like crazy cast. Aaron Sorkin, written, directed it. You know, this is like a surefire, no doubt, awards type film. They took it off their slate. Well, this week, Netflix purchased it for $56 million. Ooh. And um, I just think it's an interesting an interesting news item because it is something that is a no-doubt awards contender for Netflix. They'll be probably putting this out sometime before, I'm assuming, the election in November for obvious oh, reasons. Wow. But, I mean, just the, just the star power that it has – and the name Aaron Sorkin. I mean, granted, he's only directed a few films, but I mean, his name is even just uh, the, the as a writer, and in the industry. I mean, it's almost like immediately you start to consider like this is oh, this is coming out in the fall. Oh, this must be something that could be an awards contender. But even the subject matter is just really interesting, and the cast is just amazing. But um, the thing that kind of like interested me the most in this is that in this climate, in this country, in the world, you know, with COVID and everything. That that level of a film that is like an all-star cast, top-level screenwriter, director, and a movie that is definitely an awards contender that Paramount basically saw this as a loss and sold it for $56 million to Netflix. Like It basically says that they thought that this movie could not make $56 million in a theater, basically. And now, you know, Netflix has an, op- an opportunity to have a movie that, if it's great, like it sounds like it could be, could be a, a huge hit on the platform, not only that, but it, it could be a movie that may finally get them some more of the awards contention that they've been going after so much, and it could all be because of coronavirus, which is bonkers. Yeah, it is bonkers. Man. I mean, it's crazy, man. I mean, this is like a huge movie. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to me that the slate has got has turned the way that it has man like i guess the idea is that maybe they, they they want to release these movies theatrically but you know there are bigger things that are sitting there already and at, at basically it's it's all these movies pushing towards each other and what the hell are you going to do with it and i guess the idea is sell them off you have a fire sale for the ones that you don't think right. are as valuable as the big hitters that you right or, you could be gambling wrong. They could. This could be the movie that puts Netflix in a space where people are like, "Oh shit, Netflix is capable of carrying these movies that aren't just you know Netflix movies. They they could be contenders that win things." And that's t- to me, I think that 
that's that's when the Apple TVs, the Hulus, and the Netflix will succeed. They're eating off of this, man. They want this to right. They, you know, nobody wants the the <laughs> the pandemic to keep going on, but there has to be some something in those executives' minds. Like, man, I wish they would continue not wearing these masks. <laughs> So we can extend <laughs> this shit for maybe six more months and maybe grab some things like um, related to that. What do you think about the date of um, they've announced the date of Candyman being September or something? I don't know. Um, and it doesn't seem like there was this rumor that it was going VOD. Right. And then it wasn't. And then it's like only in theaters. They They definitively said that. What do you think about that? I mean, it's hard to... It's hard to say. I mean, I really still don't see how theaters are going to be open and and not only open, but open and like and running like, you know, properly, I guess is the word. I don't know what the right word, like just running uh, efficiently or successfully. Like, you know, right now, you know, things are pushed back to the end of July now for like most of these theater chains and like the movies that were holding out like Mulan and. Uh, tenant like they're pushed back now to like mid-august so you know a movie like Candyman to come out like only a few weeks after that i mean if that actually happens like the the, the date and the two other films i mentioned maybe it still can open but i i don't i don't know i mean if things don't improve and it just keeps getting worse and if if it starts happening in more states than just the ones that we're seeing right now like i i just I, the theatrical release gamble is just such an interesting topic and it feels just like that a gamble like they're just basically guessing and picking random dates and i mean they've probably got sources of information informing them about that but it's just like how 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 can you because you know how can you bank on spending marketing budgets on stuff when you're going to be like a week later oh shit like amc is not opening now until september you know, or whatever the situation may be. Like, they can just say, oh, well, we're pushing back now. You know, like, they're supposed to open the you know beginning of July, and now it's the end of July. And, and in two weeks, it could be the end of September. It's just like, or, or August, I mean. I It would kill me, because I really am excited for Candyman. And, like, I, you know, not that I'm going to go to the theater to see it, regardless if it comes out in September. I won't be going to a theater for a while, personally. Mm-hmm. But it would hurt that a movie like that that seems like they may have something there. The trailer's great. You know, what what's going on with some of its marketing online and social media has been really impressive. And I just love everybody involved with it. So I'd really hate to see that be a victim of, of, of this whole thing again, you know. And I don't know if VOD is a good option for that. I mean... It's just it's just such a gamble, man, with all the theatrical conversations. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That is a movie that I'm looking forward to seeing. So I'm pretty sure I'll enjoy it when it hits on demand shortly after coming out in theaters. But I don't know what's going to be happening on September 7th around the country with people going to movies or not. Um, I do think some movies, I'm glad to get to see them sooner rather than later because they're not big enough to wait. Yeah. Or they didn't lose enough of a spot on the calendar, or they're far enough away that they imagine right now it's feasible to release that movie. But they could say September is not feasible for a movie if that they have any expectations at all for. Um, that seems like a movie that would do great however they release it, though. I feel like there's anticipation for it. I don't think it cost them a ton. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, I expect that movie to do extremely well. I think there's going to be, especially the way it's being marketed now, that that excellent little short piece, the, the Candyman uh 
piece. Yes. Uh, with this really cool, creepy new version of the theme music and this beautiful animation and the story that it's telling feels like it was, especially when they dropped that trailer, it felt like, wow, this is a, it's not even a trailer. It's like a little short animation film that kind of gives you this weird, weird, uh, uh, like historical overview of all these factors that feed into, uh, who the Candyman is or who he might be. Um, I, I was, yeah, I thought it was creepy and sad and, and I can't wait to see the movie that, that if that's a relationship to the story of the movie, I, I, I think they're going to do some really interesting things with the very stuff that when, when, when we talked about the Candyman films, we said, it's kind of strange that these movies hint at this sort of, uh, you know, commentary about race in the, in the city and, and stuff like that. And then they kind of back away from it and they never really dealt with it. You know, the, the legacy of slavery and all that shit. And this movie feels like it might be kind of picking up that slack. And I think that's, that's, that's super rich for, for horror. It might be too heavy for horror. I don't know. Maybe it's back to what we were saying before about that, that imagery being too strong, but um, it definitely feels like this movie's diving in rather than avoiding it. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I have a theory, man. Um, so, and, and it draws parallels to the video game industry. So, I don't know if you guys, do you guys know the story about Last of Us and everything surrounding its release? The game Last of Us? I'm aware of it, yeah. All right. All right. So, so maybe like six months ago, um, when, when, COVID, when COVID was first starting to surface, when people were first starting to give information about it, on the U.S. front, um, there was this rumor that Last of Us 2 was coming out soon. So um, when it hit very hard and social distancing started, because this is related to a virus and basically a, a post-apocalyptic sort of situation where you're trying to survive zombies and all this stuff, they decided to basically put the game on shelves indefinitely. And to give you context for this, this this game they're saying without advertisement, but advertising money for advertising was a hundred million dollar game, as much as a movie, right? Suddenly, after the 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 information was announced, all the cutscenes from the entire game leaked, and then the code for the game leaked within a week of that, which forced them to make Last of Us Two come out when it did, which was about uh, two weeks ago. I think somebody's going to do that in the movie industry, man. I think that somebody's going to take a movie that's big and for you're forcing people's hands in the way that things keep moving around. And and you, it, this is a $100 million game, man. This is a, I think a big title, if you play with people's livelihoods in that way, it's not to say what people are going to do. And I think that at some point, we're going to get a leak of a movie that's over $50 million. We're going to get a huge movie leaking in our laps at some point. And I think that it's it's getting to that point. You're, pu you're pushing people in that way. And I never thought it would have ever happened until it happened to The Last of Us. Those, more, those games make lots and lots of money. They can make upwards of a billion dollars for a good for, for, for like a mediocre game. And this is like storytelling at its best, and it happens to be a video game. So I'm, I have, I'm, I'm thinking within the next like couple months something's going to happen. I don't want it to happen. I really want to pay for things, but I, if it happened for that, and that's a Sony-guarded game, I don't know, man. Just throw that out there. 
Well, we have been recording for almost an hour. Does anybody want to just do a round of talking about something they watched since we did a lot of news on this episode? <clears throat> I, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, the second season of The Twilight Zone. I don't know if you guys checked any of it out yet. Um, so, I mean, I feel like it was a good transition. We were talking about Candyman. Jordan Peele produced that. Jordan Peele produces this. He wrote one of the episodes that J.D. Diller directed. Um you know, I feel like I feel like mixed on this series as a whole. I feel like I'm in on it just because I love Twilight Zone. I love the just the standalone stories and and some of them kind of tie together in little ways that I, I appreciate and I, I really like. I feel very similar to the first season. Um, like there's some really high highs and some really crappy lows. I mean, some of the episodes just feel really weak and just generic and uh just really uninterested in watching them but there are a couple really interesting episodes like if anybody's interested in this season the i would definitely recommend checking out there's an episode called try try that um topher grace uh stars in and uh there's one called eight that justin benson and aaron moorhead direct and i think glenn morgan may have written that episode from the x-files people may know him from that um but there's a really cool episode called um I think it's called Among the Untrodden. It's about like a boarding school and uh, a girl's boarding school and like uh, having special powers, like telepathic powers. I don't know. It's a really cool episode. But I mean, overall, I'd recommend it. If you're into the Twilight Zone and like, you know, you have CBS All Access or a way to watch this, um, you know, if it, it, there, there's enough in the season that, you know, I, I'd say probably four of the episodes are at least really good and the other one you know a couple of them are pretty interesting and there's only a couple real stinkers but um i just i just really love this i don't know i it's the branding it's it's just the memory it's the nostalgia uh, the theme song immediately just like hooks me and you know even peel doing the intros and outros like are fun and i just i just love the idea of these little mini stories that are just kind of weird and off and just kind of something just feels off about them the whole time you watch them so i mean i would i'd recommend checking it out and see if if maybe there's some episodes that you come away really liking but yeah i would say at least four of them are are quite quite good and the one that uh the one that i mentioned that justin benson and aaron moorhead um directed it's called eight and it's got like um uh, Joel McHale is in the episode i think tim armstrong's in the episode but it's basically about like this like arctic expedition like exploring uh different creatures in the in the ocean and it there's like a it's a kind of like a creature feature episode but it's pretty it's pretty cool um yeah i don't know i i, I like it i mean I, I love the series as a whole and i was excited to check it out i kind of watched the whole season within like a couple i mean like one sitting basically over two like two sittings over two nights so it's really easy to watch because they're only like 30 to 40 minutes each. So I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. I really I really had fun with it. I just like those. I mean, as, as hit or miss as it can be, it, it's a, there's always the potential that one is going to knock your socks off. So you kind of have to watch yeah. at least the ones people recommend. But if not, just watch all of them. Because even the ones that are not great, at least there's that little little touch of weirdness or, or something, some, some level of interest. I think the ones that fail are the ones that don't really rise to that level of interest where you kind of go, wait, why did I sit through all this to get <laughs> right, to that? Right, right, exactly. But no, I want to see that too. Thanks for the reminder. But yeah, I would check it out. I would check it out. What about you guys? Um, I am really into HBO Max, and uh, so I love cartoons. Um, I do not uh, like that. Uh, Summer School Camp is a show that started on 
Cartoon Network, um, done by this British American uh, lady named Julia Pot. That was on Cartoon Network, and then HBO Max picked it up for a second season exclusively. It is one of the funniest, uh, most heartfelt shows I've ever seen. It's about a kid that comes to a place called uh, Summer School Camp, and he is uh, away from his family. He's very lonely, and he comes to this place where there are magical witches as uh, camp counselors and yetis in the woods and it's it's just a really fun playful show that's short i think they're like 10 minute episodes um beautiful cartoons uh yeah it's just worth worth checking out what what is it what is it called it's called summer camp what summer school camp summer school camp okay yeah Yeah. or is it summer no hold on i messed that up summer camp island I apologize. Summer Camp Island. Oh, okay, 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 yes. yeah. I, I, I saw the trailer for that the other day. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, I want to check good, that man. out. I think you'd enjoy it. Cool. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have a, lo- a lot to say about this because it just started, but the um, HBO series, which is also, of course, viewable on HBO Max, um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is based on Michelle McNamara's book about the Golden State Killer uh, or the otherwise known as the East Area Rapist, or the... Yikes! Original Night Stalker? Yes, or the original Night Stalker. Um, uh, Eron's is the... If you take, Eron's, if you yep. take uh, those, the E-A-R and O-N-S, to, and they those two were two separate cr- criminals that they were talking about, that they then realized were the same guy, and then that became, you know, Eron's, which is yeah. it's weird to hear them say that. But no, the fact that it was, you know, it, I mean, this was a, a book that had a, a sad story around it, which was Michelle McNamara, who had become very well known as a, as a crime blogger. And if you listen to True Crime Podcasts, you may have heard her come on and talk before you even really realized who she was, which is that she was Patton Oswalt's wife. And um, she kind of ran herself into the ground researching this killer, you know, trying to find out who he was. Uh, this crusade she had, because, you know, he raped 50 women and killed 10 people. Um, And this documentary seems to be dealing not just with the content of her book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which she was not able to finish, that some people had to step in and finish the book for her, including her her husband. Um, So the documentary deals with the fallout of her obsession with this killer. And just from the first episode that just aired, it actually ends on a note of making you feel like, oh, no, this is bad that she became obsessed with this because it does seem like maybe it led to, you know, whatever habits may have, you know, prevented her health being what it could have been and may have pulled her away from her family and and various things. And again, I'm not trying to paint it as so much of a personal tragedy, but the show is definitely sketching in those details alongside the details of the case. And it's, it's pretty heartbreaking and it adds to the... God, this is going to sound pretentious, but it's like she's one more victim of this killer is the way I've start to feel. And that's just after one episode. Um, I would say that the nature of this case is that we've had only the victim's stories for a long time. And this, um, if you've followed this and you've read about it, as I have, to see the actual people talking uh, is and see photographs and all of that stuff, it goes beyond morbid curiosity into the sort of human toll uh, as often is the case with the better true crime docs. But the but the fact that the author has her own tragic tale and it's part of the story, um, I don't, again, I don't know how much that's going to be part of the show, but just from the first episode, it feels like that's one of the big themes is that Michelle McNamara was kind of, you know, she was kind of uh, pulled into the undertow of this dark
dark, dark story of, of what this man was doing. Right. So. so again, I recommend one episode. You know, I don't want another servant where I recommend it, and then it goes south right after I recommend it. <laughs> um, but I, th- somehow this doesn't feel like that. This feels like it's made... There's something about the... I mean, it's that HBO production quality, but everything about it... If you sounds like you may have seen it, Steve, or you know at least a little bit about it. Yeah. But the show looks great. It just feels really well done. Um, and um, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of looking forward to it as much as dreading it because I think it's going to be uh, very heartbreaking. Mm. Absolutely agree. Yeah, it's it's yeah. The first episode was great. Um, it's it's hard to say where it'll go, but yeah, the the filmmaker behind I think the majority of the series is Liz Garbus, who's an incredible documentary filmmaker. Um, and just the listen to a couple. There's a just like there are with a lot of these HBO series. I don't know if you've listened to it yet, John, but there's a companion podcast that they're doing along with it each week um then they had her on this week to talk um about the production and like when she was involved and how they got involved and all this stuff so it's the access and you know we always talk about that on this podcast but like just listening to the 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 footage seeing video footage listening to the audio tapes you know amy ryan does a lot of the narration as michelle um in some of the in some of the series so i mean just listening and and hearing about the the time and the and the emotion and just like the understanding and the just how delicate the whole production was to make it you know to make it in a way that you just described which i think was intentional and i think it's pretty effective and i think it it really does kind of like you know hopefully the, the series kind of sees that to fruition but it does really kind of to give a, a, the justice to the effort that she put into it and i mean you know it does seem like it did have a really profound effect on her and her family and her you know pat and her daughter it's just it's just really fucking sad and i think that's something that sometimes gets lost with some of these true crime things and these documentary series and it's one of the most known ones recently and and the book is um that she wrote um is phenomenal and it's just it's it's cool to see them talk about this on the on the series and i can't wait to watch more of it and just kind of see where the story or how they frame the story and kind of how they put it forward in, I think it's going to be six episodes. So she is a really good writer. It, yeah, she really I mean, if is. You've read the book, you know. Yeah. She, she's great yeah. at piling in details that both make you think about the human toll. Make you think. Of, she she definitely makes you feel the creepiness of it. Definitely. But she also makes you feel like the historical perspective or the the almost like demographic information or geographical information or little things that make the story more interesting. And right. Um, uh, there, there was a documentary, I think it was on uh, Netflix, called Don't Fuck With Cats, that sort of <laughs> brought in this whole idea of the cit- citizen sleuths, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, And yeah. I feel like that movie almost gave into the idea of what the citizen sleuths were saying, and I feel like that movie kind of didn't quite stick the landing for me as far as how it tried to treat that, or that series, whatever it was. Yeah. How, to, how it stuck the landing. It didn't quite work for me, but... Um, I think this looks like it's going to do what I would have liked to see that show do, which is actually say, let's actually go into, in a very sincere, thoughtful way, into the sort of person who is this citizen sleuth. Because this, she's not just this random person. Like I said, she was a respected writer, and she went to conferences and you know, wrote uh, a, a, a blog that a lot of people speak of as though it was a book that they read. You know, um, So anyway, um, I do think that... Uh, you know. Th- We've seen enough of these true crime docs. One really has to have a reason to exist, and I think that this one, this one uh, does have that reason because of all the stuff we just said. There's one other thing I just think is worth mentioning, and I, I almost, I can't. It's so painful that like he eventually was apprehended, this guy, but not from anything she was doing, and not from anything that any of the citizen sleuths were doing. None of the places they were looking would have produced the evidence 
that eventually got the guy, which was like DNA information obtained through like a, a yeah um, yeah the twenty three and Me the sites yeah they were able to link some information and they that that you know that is what led to it uh, so. It was DNA evidence that that caught the guy. Never anything that these citizens loose were doing. So I, I feel like that's another thing. I don't know if they're going to deal with that on the show. I'm sure they must because it, it's part of the story. But that just just extra sad to me. <laughs> yeah, know, oh, that, like, totally. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe she would have she would have booked, she would have tripped on something. But it seems unlikely that it, with any of the theories she had, we now know that she was right about some things, but wrong about others. Uh, when it comes to her conclusions she had drawn. So right. I, got, I guess that just adds to the tragic dimension. But yeah, you know, worth a watch, Ronald. If you, even if you think you've heard it all before and you've seen it all before, this this one feels a little different. Okay. And it's a docu-series? I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, all, I'm always leaning towards a docu-series over like a, you know, a, a, a small town murder show that they keep redoing over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so I w- I'd rather watch that. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I'm definitely interested. Well, also, Patton Oswalt is all over it, too. So if you like him, it's a little bit like a documentary about hit the tragedy of what happened to his family, you know. So um, I think that's another part of it that he's, mm, you know, there's, so I don't know, it's just really interesting. Some of the facts, some of the stuff that they're shooting he just seems so broken by the whole thing, you know, and that is uh, something I think I already knew, but seeing it filmed is, you know, another thing. Anything else you guys want to talk about that we've watched or? Well, did everybody watch Eurovision? Can we at least talk about that if everybody watched it? <laughs> did you see it, Ronald? I, I, no, I didn't see it. Oh, for some reason, I thought you guys were going to sit down and watch it. I was surprisingly entertained by it. Like, it, it feels like, uh, I mean, it's maybe, it's a little long at two hours and three minutes, but it's a blast of, of positive energy somehow that I, I, I greatly enjoyed, maybe, maybe more than I would have ever expected to. Did you have a similar experience, Steve, or did you, uh, you know, did it, did it wear out its welcome with you? No, I, I really liked it. I mean, like, I kind of was like, the first couple trailers for it uh, were kind of like, ah, this looks kind of not so good. And kind of, but maybe that did a service to it because it, like, my expectations were a little lower. But then I started seeing, like, a lot of critics, like, were kind of liking it and saying that it was really funny and that, you know, Rachel McAdams is, is really great in it. Dan Stevens is great. I mean, even Will Ferrell is, I mean, it's a really fun movie. And it's one of the better movies that Ferrell's put out in a long time. And, uh, I think if you like Rachel McAdams, like if you've seen her any other comedy that she's been in, and you know, and she's always great in comedies, whether it's Mean Girls or Wedding Crashers or Game Night or this, I think she just is incredible in this, and I, it's just a great performance. And the songs are really fun and catchy, and there's a lot of there's a couple really great scenes that are just real crowd pleasers of a scene. And I don't know, man, like I, I had a lot of fun with it. We watched it with some friends of ours. Uh, who live across the country. We did one of those like watch together options on Netflix and like through the timing it up and everything. And it was, it was a really fun watch, like to watch with our friends. We were laughing quite a bit and uh, yeah, dude, I would, I, I'd recommend it, Ron. I know, I know we were kind of laughing a bit about it or I don't know. I think you two were kind of laughing about it when I sent the trailer. Well, no, but... I said when I saw the trailer, same, <laughs> same thing. It sounds like you didn't like the trailer much either. But when I saw the trailer, I said, this looks like a great Will Ferrell movie from 2002. Yeah. Because, you know, there was that period where he was making a movie where it was just like, oh, let's put him in a, let's put him in a, in a, in a long blonde wig. And let's, and now we have right. a different movie and he has a slightly different accent, you know, but he is doing something a little bit different. This movie, right, right. I, 
it. I felt like this movie, with the whole Netflix production aspect, it's getting some international dollars because it's shot mostly in Iceland and Scotland, it seems. And right. I think that gains a little bit of currency as far as the visual uh, interest that that creates. I actually think this movie looked really good on my uh, on my television. You know, it was... Uh, um, it was, I guess, super HD, or so, there was just something super crisp looking about the movie. And even Will Ferrell's wig, I noticed, looked pretty good. And sometimes in HD, <laughs> you see the limits of like comedy, comedy wig making. But honestly, right. it was like blowing in the wind, or he was tossing it around. It looked pretty believable. And I think that he may suffer from the fact that the movie is a little slow paced. Like at two hours and three minutes, it could have been maybe an hour and 40 minutes and it wouldn't have had to lose any material, really. They could have just tightened it up a little bit. But I do think you get certain extended gags that might have been lost in that way. So I did not mind the experience of watching it. I do think if you just look at it on paper and think about the kind of movie it is, though, because the plot is such a predictable arc for all the characters um, outside of a few little surprises, I think that's the thing that makes the length feel kind of like undeserved. It, it didn't need, it, you know, from a plot standpoint, it doesn't need the length that it has. But what makes the movie really interesting, and Steve alluded to it with the sort of the show-stopping sequences that are super fun to watch, there's a lot of singing and dancing, and it's sort of unironic, and the movie does not take pot shots at the Eurovision song competition. Maybe they had to do that to get the cooperation of the organization because clearly they're using the imagery and the name and everything. But it really felt like a sweet movie. Do you know what I mean, Steve? Like it really felt like this movie could have been all about, it could have been comedian after comedian playing dumb Europeans singing stupid songs, you know, which is easily, you could easily make fun of Eurovision and how cheesy and dated and everything it is because it is. Um, but instead, they played it straight, and I think I, I read somewhere they actually use real people that have won the Eurovision contest to sing certain songs and to do certain parts in the movie. That gave it a certain a certain quality that it wouldn't have had if they had just been snarky uh, throughout. So right. that's another thing that makes it kind of noteworthy. It's genuinely funny. It's genuinely sweet. The songs are good. The performances are good. Some of which are the real actors mixed with uh, you know a lot of auto tune or other singers. But you do get a little feel of of uh, you can tell that's Dan Stevens in some spots. You can I mean I, he's got a pretty good voice, so that might be him singing all of his parts. Will Ferrell definitely is auto tuned, but he's singing. <laughs> Rachel McAdams can't hit all those notes, but she's doing some of it. It just I don't know. There's a little bit of that like. Everybody gets a chance to shine, and if you like Dan Stevens already, Ronald, you will. You this will be one of those times where you'll go, okay, he's just one of those actors that he can do anything you throw at him. You know, yeah, he's like a song and dance man on top of being, uh, you know, a pretty good actor. So, but but if but if you're not in the mood at all for a silly Will Ferrell movie, you you know you might you might be able to talk yourself out of this one. And now that Steve and I have talked about it as being good. That whole low expectations thing that made us enjoy it so much, we've already invalidated it for you. <laughs> so we may God. have ruined it. God. <laughs> we have ruined it. I'll still check it out. I'll definitely give it a try. Anything else? Anybody watch anything before we wrap things up? I think that's it for me. What, well, real quick, I, 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 mean, I think you mentioned it, Ronald. I mean, did, did you guys all, all watch Irresistible? Yes. John, did you watch it? No, I did not. But I will. I I felt about that perhaps the way that Ronald felt about watching a uh, a Will Ferrell movie. Is I just I feel like the John Stewart, <laughs> uh, Steve Carell, Venn diagram of me enjoying their stuff. It hasn't been hasn't been super solid lately. So I kind of um, kind of I, I didn't say I'm going to never watch it, but I didn't I didn't run out and watch it. Did you guys? You know what did you think? Ronald, go ahead. Man, you, Steve, you, you saw it, right? I, I I thought it was pretty good, man. It was that. Isn't it also that there's another movie with uh, Matt Damon? Isn't there another movie with Matt Damon? 
where there's a guy that they're trying to make into a star politician because he's raw and uncut and i feel like there's another movie like that but um <laughs> i don't know man i i thought that overall i enjoyed it i didn't <sighs> there's a reason why this thing went to the service that it went to it didn't it didn't feel like it was ready for prime time but it also didn't feel like a low level movie at the same time um it wasn't laugh out loud funny and I kind of like the twist at the end. Um, I don't know, man. Steve Carell still gets me sometimes. Like, I don't always love everything that he's in. But there's something about his uh, disingenuous genuineness that comes across. The smartest person in the room, but not the smartest person in the room. Um, I right. think he still is very incredible at that. And this had a lot of shortcomings, but... I did like the message in the end. I think they, I saw a lot of complaints kind of saying that uh, this was a this was a kind of a light jab at the political system, but I thought that it was pretty cool the way that it resolved itself and um, the the culture of kind of using small towns to get this, you know, to be in the good graces of of these towns. And make an impression for votes and then kind of leave in. And I think that was a cool commentary about the way that that's handled. And the third act, to me, was pretty pretty cool. I, I thought it was all right, man. I'd, I'd rewatch it if it came on TV again. Let me be clear. I love Jon Stewart and Steve Carell. I just have not seen them in anything. Like, Steve Carell, I, we watch reruns of the... Oh, we watch reruns. We watch The Office on, uh, you know, on Netflix. I, I, I'm frequently reminded of how brilliant that guy is. Uh, I just haven't seen that that guy in a while where I'm laughing and I can't believe how great he is. And Jon Stewart, I just feel like the moment where that guy's... His whole shtick, I feel like it doesn't... Qu- he seems a little bit too nuanced for me these days. I think he's very smart. Um, I don't doubt that the movie could be entertaining, and I, I honestly think with Rose Byrne in the cast as well, it's sort of like, well, that's another reason why I might really like it. So I'm sure it could be good. It's just that the best thing I've seen Steve Carell do in recent years was The Morning Show, and he's utterly loathsome in that. So yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of want him. I want to see him. I've said this before, but I want to see him do another role that I can enjoy him and and laugh with him and at him, as opposed to with The Morning Show, where it's just he's great at playing the sort of Matt Lauer stand in who you just hate <laughs> pretty much from the first episode but but definitely by the end of the last right yeah I, I pretty much agree with everything ronald said i mean i i probably maybe didn't like it as much as ronald did but it was it was it was it was it was fine it was entertaining like i feel like the biggest criticism and maybe you're kind of maybe getting at it a little bit john that somebody might have is that i feel like it does it makes an effort to kind of um, not attack, but 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 speak to the ridiculousness of both sides of politics and the and of the parties and all this stuff, like almost to the point that it sacrifices like a real comment about anything. Like I think you might expect John Stewart to have a movie that is trying to say a little more like the twist that Ronald mentioned in the third act is what the movie is saying about politics. And like, that's the best part of the movie and it kind of redeems the movie. And I would agree with that. Like it, it does. That's what kind of turned it enough that I kind of was like, okay, I, I could, I don't regret watching this. I, I liked it enough, I guess. But for the rest of the movie, I think that there's not enough actual conversation happening outside of just like, 
some some scenes that are pretty funny, but I mean, like, I don't know that it's actually saying enough, or maybe just what you expect a movie by written and directed by John Stewart to be saying about politics in in today. I mean, this this is taking place in a world right after Trump wins the presidency in 2016, and you know, you would, I, I at least I'd expect it, and maybe a lot of other people that maybe know John Stewart and watch John Stewart a lot, like maybe would have thought he would want to say or try to say. But um, that seems to be like what a lot of criticism has been saying about it and and that it doesn't really, it it plays maybe a little too down the middle like with for entertainment and, you know, Carell's Carell's good. I mean, uh, I love Steve Carell. I don't know that I've loved him anything recently and this is one of the, maybe the better things he's been in of what I'm thinking of recent that I've seen with him. But um yeah, Rose Byrne's a lot of fun. She's really great. But Mackenzie Davis is really good in it. I like her a lot. Um, I didn't even know she was in the movie, and she's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. But um, I'd say check it out. I mean, like, it's worth checking out. I mean, I, it's, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. It's entertaining. And, yeah, it, if only for the... It, it, even even if you just watch it for the third act, I think it's worth it for that, for sure. No, I'll see it. Because, again, I like those guys too much not to see what they would do together. Right. It's just... The trailers looked so middle of the road comedy to me uh, that it's like I definitely wouldn't have gone out to the theater to see that movie. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's so sure that that's completely accurate. Yeah, no, it's totally that movie. Your read on that is 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 right on. But you can watch it from your living room, though. You can. Yes, I probably will. <laughs> well, cool. That's uh, I think that's gonna wrap it up. Unless you guys have anything else you wanna you wanna throw in there, but I think that's pretty pretty much all i had i'm only going to throw in there that there are so many little horror movies i've kind of built up this list of movies i need to watch so i promise next time i know you guys can get all excited get ready next time i'm gonna have uh i'm just making this up right now a new feature called horror are you doing um (laughs) where i talk about recent horror films (laughs) i wasn't ready for that so i'm gonna do a little horror movie roundup next time how are you doing? <laughs> um, maybe we should compare notes on that if you guys want to, but I definitely want to come back next time and report on some of these smaller uh, horror films that have kind of slipped past me in recent months. Definitely, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, it works, man. I don't know if you maybe you've watched them all already, Steve. But do you know what I mean? There's so many. There's yeah, so many avenues I, I, I right may now have. For, we'll have so, like we'll have to sync up. I may have. <laughs> yeah. There's like that creep show show. I haven't watched any of that. I, I still need to catch up on Channel Z or whatever that thing was called. I mean, there's just so much. Channel Zero. Much. I used to be the guy who had seen it all, and now I'm the guy yeah. who's like barely seen any of it. I, I would say creep show is is fun, but it's it's a little. It's kind of like I feel similarly like 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 the Twilight Zone uh, reiteration, but Channel Zero, which I think you're referring to. <laughs> Channel Z is a B52s song. <laughs> That's a definite watch. Like you should definitely watch that. <laughs> I am living. On Channel Z, 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 Z. <laughs> yeah, Channel Zero is is great. I would recommend that for sure. <clears throat> cool, cool, cool. Well, um, Eurovisions on Netflix. You want to check it out? I think Irresistible is uh, on a couple of the different VOD platforms uh, currently. Uh, Ronald mentioned the Summer Camp Island, which is on HBO Max. Talked about Twilight Zone, which is on CBS Access. The second season's out now. 
and the um i'll be gone in the dark is on what is on whichever hbo you choose to subscribe to hopefully it's i guess it's hbo or hbo max uh but yeah so check some of that out let us know what you think if you do uh manage to watch any of those titles between now and next week you can comment on this post uh wherever you're if you're finding this on social media let us know but if not, if you're listening in your car or on your phone, find us on social media, facebook.com slash movieshmovie or movieshmovie.com, and let us know if you watched any of the things that we talked about this week on the podcast and what you thought. And uh, yeah, next week, I, 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 apparently, we're talking about horror movies. That'll be fun. Uh, we'll, we'll have to find something to watch and, and, and do that. That sounds fun, John. If you guys are good don't have anything else to throw in, I, I, I'll, uh, we can wrap this up. I am living on channels. And we'll see you guys next week. And as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye.